this morning when I was driving in here, I was uh, listening to a song, um, and the title is After Your Heart. And one of the verses goes like this. It says, I'm after your heart and all that you are, the treasure I find to know what you are like. I'm after your heart. Do what you have to, break down my doors. I want to know you like never before. Oh, do what you have to. Won't you break down my doors? I want to know you like never before. Uh, that's interesting lyrics, I think, because it just expresses the desire of this person singing this song. I was like, I want to know God better. I want to know him more than I did yesterday. Um, not just informationally, but also experientially as we live our lives. And uh, my hope, our hope is that whenever we gather, that the result is we would know him better. We would um, give, you know, as if you need to give God permission, okay? But the invitation is in these lyrics, like, you know, break down the doors. If there's something like blocking uh, in my relationship with you from experiencing the intimacy, God, that, that you would want me to have, show me that and let me deal with that. Uh, and I think that's just a great way for us, any one of us, to start the service and or start our day, really, to say, Lord, I'm going to open book here, if there's something you need to do in my heart that's keeping me from walking closely with you, would you show me? Would you, you know, kick down the doors, (laughs) whatever they might be, so that I can know you better? And so let's pray to that end this morning before we get into God's Word, okay? Heavenly Father, we come to you, Daddy, and we want to uh, just remember that you love us, you have our best in mind. And you would never ask us to do something that's not the best for us. And, um, and Lord, also we just trust you for the circumstances of our lives that are going on. That may be difficult. As believers, Lord, Lord, we know that your word tells us that you work all things together for good for, for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And so we trust in that, even though sometimes we do not understand how that could be like how these things that we're going through could actually turn out for your glory. And so it's by faith that we, we know this. And Lord, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those in our church family that are sick right now, um, that are really uh, struggling uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, um, Pray that your presence would be just palpable to them, uh, a very present help in trouble, as it says in Psalm 46. Um, Lord, help us uh, to, um, to draw near to you, even in our affliction, in the things that hurt in our lives. And Father, we also just pray that you would draw us close. We want to know you better, like the, like the person in the, that wrote these lyrics was expressing. Uh, we want to know you better today as a result of being here and worshiping. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are um, using the Apostles' Creed as kind of a launching point to look at some core truths of the Christian faith. It will help a believer uh, 
shore up their foundations if they need to be, or maybe equip a believer to share the core beliefs of our faith with others, or it might help somebody that's checking out to see what God is all about to learn how to have a relationship with Him. Because this Apostles' Creed, though we know it's not Scripture, it does reflect a summary of Scripture, okay? And um, you can know the gospel through the creed as well. It expresses the truths of the gospel in there in addition to some other things. And certainly that's going to be true today as we look at the cross and the death of Jesus and his resurrection, right, has a direct correlation to God's plan uh, of salvation. And so, um, you know, when you, you think of, of certain symbols, right, if, if I had the golden arches up, right, in a picture of that, you'd say, oh, that's McDonald's, right? Uh, or if I had a little logo here that was the white apple, you know, you know, oh, that's Apple Computer, you know, and there would be thoughts associated with these different things. You know, maybe the McDonald's makes you heave, I don't know. Or maybe it makes you just want to go, you know, say, you know, to all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, sesame seed, bun. Now, I remember half, there was a competition, wasn't there at one time? If you could say that in so many seconds, you could win like a free one or something like that. That's the only reason I know that, okay? So, you know, this is, hopefully that changes your life today, you know. <laughs> Probably give you a heart attack if you go to McDonald's, but, you know. Um, anyway, uh, the cross is a symbol of Christianity, right? People see the cross. Um, uh, we have a cross in here. Right, um, it's an empty cross. Okay, that's important. I think um, Jesus is not there anymore. Um, but but just to say, when I talk about the cross, this is, you know, people see the cross hanging from the neck or whatever. Um, this is uh, meant. It's a symbol. Now, I don't think anybody back in the day of Jesus would have thought of wearing something like that on their body. Not that it's wrong, but it's just that you know now. But it's just back then that was a symbol of of cruelty and death and evil and, you know, it just, they would have never thought you would hang it around your neck. But for us, you know, I suppose now we, we kind of, we cling to that cross in a sense, the cross of Jesus, that is, right, because of what it symbolizes. And so, so today I, I want to talk about some of the, the implications and, and the importance of the cross and what was going on in the crucifixion there. Um. And I just have to preface this and say, you know, we're just hitting the surface, man. I mean, really just, we could spend, you know, there's been books written on the cross and, and about the death and the resurrection, but we're kind of hitting the surface here and trying to hit the important parts, I think. And so last week we talked about Jesus Christ, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and this week we're talking about another aspects of the creed. In fact, the, the, the part of the creed we're talking about today goes like this, suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. All of that today. So now you know why we went over last time, right? Some of you guys were waiting in the hallway. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it down on time today. We'll see. But anyway, uh, we're covering that part of the creed today. And, um, and next week, uh, Luke Miller is going to preach, and he's going to hit on the, the last phrase in the creed about Jesus, okay? Uh, which, which I'm looking forward to that. So this is why it's called, I Believe in Jesus Christ, uh, Part 2. Now let's talk about this first phrase. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. Well, first off, 
who is Pontius Pilate? I mean, you know, and what baby book name did they get that out of, right? Pontius, I don't know. Poncho, maybe. Pontius, I don't know. But anyway, who was he? So if you're not familiar with him, uh, he was the fifth Roman governor of Judea who presided over Jesus' trial and authorized his execution. All right, uh, that's in, in short order who he was. Uh, if you would like to read about some of the interaction that he had with Jesus, you go to Matthew chapter 27, and right around verse 19, you'll see this exchange. But what you'll notice there when you go there was he really didn't think, Pontius Pilate really didn't think Jesus did anything wrong. But the problem was his wife actually said uh, she would like him to be done away with, and the crowd just kept crying, crucify him. And so he caved to the pressure and basically left it up to the people, right? On that particular day, they were supposed to set somebody free. Uh, Are we going to let Jesus go free or are we going to let this thief named Barabbas go free? And the crowd said, let Barabbas go free because they wanted to crucify Jesus. So Pontius Pilate presided over that. Okay, and he basically, quote, washed his hands of the blood of Jesus, even though it really was on his hands because he turned it over to the people. Okay, so that's who Pontius Pilate was. So when it says suffered under Pontius Pilate, it just means that was the governor at the time, and, and he let this happen. So uh, what about the cross? And so let's talk about the importance of the cross. There's four things I want to share with you. And again, there's many other things we could say uh, about what the cross means for the believer and what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross, okay? And the first thing is, the first point, the point I made in the communion, okay? So I won't belabor it again, but Jesus' crucifixion was our ransom, was ransom for our sin, okay? Uh, he paid the penalty. His life was exchanged for ours, right? And, that, and that, that works for anyone who puts their faith in him. It's not universal, okay? It's not like universal covers that now that he's done that, that that works for everybody. It works to all who will confess their need for the Savior, which we all do, but not everybody confesses that. Not everybody bows the knee, um, at least on this side of Christ coming back. Um, and so, and that's what matters in coming to faith, is acknowledging who He is and our need, right? So we hit this point already in the communion time, so let's get the second one here. Jesus' crucifixion heals our brokenness. Guys, if we're honest... And we look at our lives, um, any snippet of our lives, we'd have to say, you know, we're broken people. We're, you know, things are not right in our lives at times, and there's pain. Sometimes it's done to us. Sometimes it's because of us. And, and, and you look at the world around us, and, and there's brokenness, right? And so um, we should, we look at that and say, something's not right. There's brokenness, and sin has caused this, um, and, and so we, we just need to realize, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He, meaning Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, meaning on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You get that picture in baptism, don't you? When somebody goes down under the water and comes back up, it's kind of like they, they died to sin and are alive to God, almost like 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ almost kind of relived in that person's uh, life spiritually, internally. Okay, it's that baptism is a symbol of that's what's happened. They've they've gotten the new birth, as it's called in John chapter three, been born again. Okay, and so that we die to sin and are, are made alive to righteousness. And then it says this, by his wounds, meaning the wounds on the cross, by his wounds, by his suffering on the cross, you have been healed. You have been healed. Okay? Now, um, this side of heaven, uh, anyone who puts their faith in Christ can receive this spiritual healing, this spiritual brokenness that we all find ourselves in. Okay, we're all born with this brokenness, and the only way for you to receive healing from God is by putting our faith in Christ and receiving the gift of what He did on the cross. Um, some people receive physical healing as a result of what Christ can do and has done. Okay? Ultimately, every believer will receive physical healing in the presence of Christ for all eternity someday when He comes back. Okay, uh, But just focusing in on here right now about this, this spiritual healing and, and our need for healing. We're broken. We're broken. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the place of the beginning of healing is when we acknowledge that, right? Um, any person that's uh, suffered an addiction or knows somebody that's been in a 12-step program, you have to acknowledge you have a problem before you could ever be on the road to recovery. If you don't acknowledge there's a problem, you're never going to get healed, okay? And it, it, in the same way, it's the same way spiritually, you have to acknowledge there's a sin problem and there's a brokenness problem in your life, and Christ came, in a sense, to fix that. He came to die on the cross in our place so that we could experience forgiveness and healing in our lives, the healing that we need that heals the brokenness, okay? Now, Another thing that the cross the importance, shows the importance of the cross is that Jesus' crucifixion brings peace to our hostility toward God. Jesus' crucifixion brings peace to our hostility toward God. In other words, we're, there's a problem between us and God. There's a rift in this relationship. We're, we're not born into this world having a relationship with Him. We're born into this world with sin, and because of that, we're already on the outs with God, okay? We're born with that. That's a sin problem that's, that's inherited, right, from Adam. But we also own our own sin, okay? And so, as we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, For in Him, meaning in Jesus Christ, in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, He's fully God. We talked about that last week. And, verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things. When, uh, when you want to reconcile, that means you want to make peace, isn't it? Right? You have had an argument with your wife, your friend, your significant other, right? You, hopefully, you want to make up. You want to reconcile, right? I mean, you want, you want there to be peace, right? And what Jesus was doing at the cross was making the way that we could have peace with God the Father. Because the thing that brought God's wrath upon us and made it so that we're not at peace with God is our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Sin is rebellion against God. It's basically saying, I want to do it my way, not God's way. Right? That's really the attitude behind sin. 
whether it's in thought, deed, or action, right? Um, and so, it, so that verse 20 says, and through him, meaning through what Christ did on the cross, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, listen, by the blood of his cross. That's how we can be at peace with God, is if we benefit from the, in a sense, from the benefits of the blood of the cross. And the only way we can do that is by placing our faith in Christ, right? When you place your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, all these things can be true of your life, but not until you do. I find this fascinating, though, that when it says he was looking to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, and so that tells us that something cosmic happened when sin came in the world, right? Something happened to all of creation, and you read about it in Romans 1, that creation groans, right, longing for final things to come so things can be set right. And um, I was affir- somebody affirmed me in saying this, so uh, somebody else may be able to affirm this too, but there's something called the second law of thermodynamics, right? Things go from order to disorder, right? That's the only thing I about remember from physics class in college is that one. And because it says things are running down, there's decay in the universe, right? And I think some of what this is saying here that he's looking to reconcile is this idea of that creation was touched by sin and longs to not experience the decay and for it to be put back right. And the... When Christ comes back and there is a new heavens and a new earth, okay, all will be put back right. There will no longer be decay. Creation will be set right, okay, and will be at, that creation itself, in a sense, would be at peace with God. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it said, you know, that's why I think it says whether on earth or in heaven. So it's not just people that need reconciled. There's a, there's a restoration and reconciliation that needs to be all things. And so, um, creation needs released from its bondage to decay, and that's coming. Okay, that's coming. So, at the cross, if we receive Christ at the cross, we can experience, right, peace with God. That's the only way. Okay? You can't earn it. You just have to receive it as a gift. That's the beauty of it. Okay? The fourth thing here about the cross here. Jesus' crucifixion provides forgiveness of sins. Now this, you know, I think probably the danger for a lot of us is that if you've been a Christian for a while, or you've been going to church for a while, you know all this stuff. <laughs> you know, and we become so familiar with it, but it's, it's, it's spectacular, you know? And I would just ask that maybe this week, you take one of these points each day, uh, the truths about the importance of the cross, and you think about the implications of that for your life. And if you have put your faith in Christ and have received the benefits of that, give praise to God. And you turn that into prayer. You turn that into praise. And you thank Him for it. And, and say, God, let me not take it for granted. Okay? But we receive forgiveness because of what Christ has done at the cross. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, In Him, meaning in Christ, We have redemption through his blood. Again, there's the connection with the cross, right? In him we have redemption through his blood. So we're bought back through the blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, right? 
the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of His grace. And by the way, God's, God's grace, His riches are full and overflowing. He lavishes His grace on us, it says in other parts of the Scripture. He lavishes it. It's like He's just slathering it on us, right, in a sense. It's overflowing. And so, um, so what happens is, uh, also, when we realize that the shedding of blood was necessary, uh, write this down, Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22 points back to Leviticus and says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In other words, somebody's going to pay. Okay? And that's what it gets back to what I was saying earlier. It's either going to be us, ourselves, or we receive the payment that Jesus has done for us. One or the other. Okay? Somebody's going to pay. And that's, that's what Hebrews 9.22 is getting at when it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So at the cross, what Jesus did at the cross was offer forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. Amazing, isn't it? Past all our sins. I can't imagine how many sins I've committed in my lifetime and will commit. All. All our sin is forgiven in Him. Don't forget that first two words in Ephesians 1. In Him. You've got to be in Him. How do you get in Him? You believe. You put your faith in Christ. Right? Anytime you see that phrase in Paul's writings, in Him, it just means you're in Christ. You're a Christian. Okay? Not by name, but by your experience that you truly believed in Him. Okay? Now, a couple of things I was thinking about as beyond these four points that just I wanted to share with you. As believers, uh, our identity is also linked with Jesus at the cross. This is kind of a strange idea, but it's important, okay? It's important. Um, Think back to, uh, if you you know this verse, it's it's a fairly common one people have heard. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. You may be like, "Well, well, okay, I may be old, but I'm not that old. You know, I wasn't alive back in Jesus' time. So what this is getting at is a, is, a, is a bit of a mystery, is that when you put your faith in Christ, it's like you died with Him and resurrected with, with Him, right? Uh, again, back to that baptism, that picture of baptism, the death and resurrection, okay? So it says, I have, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, so there's a, there's a, this is how some people call the union, your union with Christ. You're, you're united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. So having believed, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and listen, and it's no longer I who live. What are you talking about? No longer I who live. I'm living this life, aren't I? Well, if I'm a Christian, technically, it's not to me who's to be living, but Christ living through me. Okay. That's what he goes on and says. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How does that happen? I don't know. But I can tell you, I am not the same today as I was 40 years ago. My wife would not have liked me 40 years ago. We talk about this. Like I, She would have never have dated me in high school. Okay, I would not have been on her radar. She would not have been on mine. Okay. You know, I, I, was, I was a jerk in some ways. I was a nice guy in other ways, but a jerk in other ways. And, and I'm just saying that to say, you know, there's been a change here. Happened over time. And it's been a God thing. 
It's Christ living in me. And any Christian ought to be able to see observable change over time, growing into Christ-like character, seeing the fruit of the Spirit becoming more evident, right? Not perfection, but progression, okay? If you don't see that at all, then I just kind of wonder if you've experienced that rebirth, okay? And only God really knows, but I'm just saying, the Scripture says there will be a transformation. And when you see this uh, Galatians 2.20 and our identity, also we're identifying with Christ's death and His resurrection, and He's living through us. You know, and then it just links me up with that whole idea of us being ambassadors for Christ. As the Scriptures calls us to do. You know, Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ. We're His representatives, right? And... Uh, I love that analogy because, you know, if you're an ambassador, you're from a different land, right? And this is not our home. Uh, we're representing a, a, a place that's, that's not here, right? Uh, but, but nonetheless, we let Christ live through us so that we can be good ambassadors for him, right? We want to give good people a, a, a proper representation of who Jesus is, right? There's enough bad ones. We want to give them good ones. And certainly we're going to mess up and sometimes uh, not be great representatives, but the key there is to confess it, be honest about it. Uh, this happened uh, a number of times. I remember after I got saved as a, in a roommate in college, you know, people would be pointing out, look, you're getting, at, you're getting mad. I'm like, well, hey, I'm still human, okay? I still sin. I'm, I didn't claim like sinless perfection now that I've received Christ, but I will say he is changing me. He is changing me. And it happens from the inside out, right? So, another thing comes to my mind as believers, we are to imitate the crucified life. Now, this is, uh, this is challenging to say that, <laughs> right? Because, again, the cross really, in a, in a, from a human standpoint, has nothing good about it. It's pain, it's suffering, okay? But uh, listen to Luke chapter uh, 9, verse 23, where Jesus says, and he said to all, um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow. That, how can we do that? Every day, right? And I think living the crucified life just simply means um, that we're yielded to God. It's going to involve suffering. If you identify with Jesus, there's going to be some level of suffering. But it also means if I'm going to let Christ live through me, that I'm going to sometimes uh, defer my own preferences and rights for the sake of other people. And this is where it's going to get real. I thought, well, what's a good example of this? Um, well, uh, Ephesians 5.25 is a great example. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the crucified life, just in the context of a marriage, saying, Husbands, love your wives. Well, how am I supposed to love them? You know, what, what's, a, what's a way to, that manifests itself? Well, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, it, so it's this sacrificial love, right? Laying your life down, putting your preferences aside sometimes, right? Not that you wouldn't, not that your wife wouldn't want you to do what you like to do at times. That's not the point. Um, the point is, like in this context, we're talking to husbands, and husbands need to worry about what our instructions are, not what our wives are, right? 
And so the, the crucified life in the context of marriage is simply deferring sometimes the things that you like because you love your wife and you want, and you want to do what she wants or uh, things like that. I mean, there's compromises that have to be made. And, you know, and, and sometimes it means sacrifice. Sometimes, you know, I remember, um, again, so you guys got to realize, I'm human. Linda could give you lots of examples of places I've failed and fallen and, you know, not done the right thing, okay? But I remember telling Linda, and I didn't mean it. I said, you know, if I have to have, this is years ago, if I have to have more than one job for us to have food on the table, I will do that. We, we will do it. Whatever, whatever it takes. And, Again, not perfect, but, you know, and that's, ha- that's happened to be here over time. That's what's happening. But just to say that, you know, um, there are things when we live the crucified life, we let Christ live through us, right? It's going to be difficult, right? It's, it's not going to be, as they say, a bed of roses, living a Christ-like life. It's going to mean, uh, and, and again, I, I kind of, let me throw this out here, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, and this has not, by the way, this has nothing to do with uh, politics or what's happened over the past, recent past year. I just know people, again, not about constitutional rights, saying, you know, I, you know, I have a right to this and I have a right to that, like in relationships and this kind of thing. And I'm not talking about civility or anything like that. Obviously, you should be civil in all this in relationships. But, but just saying that they have a right to do this and they have a right to get this from the other person, this and that, it's like, well, if you read the Apostle Paul and you're a Christian, Paul's laying down his rights all the time, man. He's laying them down. He's laying them down. It's like, well, I, I could have a right to exact money from, the, from you guys because I, I'm preaching the gospel to you, but I'm going to work this other job over here so as I'm not a hindrance to the gospel. He, he did that. Uh, he, he was, he was com- constantly demonstrating a life laid down so that he could reach as many people as possible. And if that meant laying aside his rights at times, you know, again, not, we're not talking, you know, people, when I say that, they think constitutional rights. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm just saying, like, you know, some things where, like, I might like to do this, or maybe I feel like I have a right to do that, but, but maybe it's better to not for the sake of this person, right? Um, you know, a, an easy one is, like, Romans 14, where you, you talk about things that, you know, um, an application today in, in that section of Scripture might be drinking, right? I think it's fine to drink, just don't get drunk, I think. Um, but if I'm around somebody that I don't know how they feel about that, or if maybe they're an alcoholic or they would stumble with that, so if I don't know, I just don't do it. Do I have a right to do it? Sure, I have a right to drink. But I, sh- but I should, I think, as a Christian, if I'm not sure or maybe, maybe I know that they have a problem with that, I just defer that right. That's very simple. I mean, that's not a hard thing to do. That's a simple thing when I'm talking about the crucified life. Okay, does that make sense? So we imitate that. Okay. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, so dead and buried and descended into hell. All right. Um, so I had to decide what I was going to focus in on, and I'm focusing in mostly on the cross and the resurrection today. Um, but let me just say this. The part that people get wigged out about in there are not sure about, uh, I mean, they know that Jesus was dead and buried. Hopefully you know that. He physically died. It wasn't a fake job. Okay, there are swoon theories out there. I think there's good reason to not even put any stock in that. Those roads have been traveled before, and I, I can point you in all kinds of resources that hit on all those theories and explain those away. Jesus really did die, okay, physically. Okay, 
And so then, um, but what about that descended into hell thing? So let me get to this. The creed, okay, um, when, uh, when it was translated into Latin here and then into Anglo-Saxon here and into the English language, this phrase became hell, okay? You descended into hell. And actually, this was added a little bit later in like around the fourth century, this phrase, he descended into hell. But what you need to know is words, the meanings of words change over time, right? There are historical meanings of words. There's, there's a name for that, right? I don't know what it is. It's, I'm not a language arts person. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it, you know, so you have to look at the time period, right? So you've got to know this. This particular word in the Greek that was then translated here into English is Hades, okay? And Hades, at this time, point in time, would have meant the realm of the dead. Just anybody died, they were in Hades, okay? This, this, the, the place, the, just call, we'll just call it the realm of the dead, okay? Um, not hell in the way you probably think of it, like in that torment, uh, final, you know, the, the lake of fire kind of thing, right? That's not how this was used. It meant that Jesus went to the realm of the dead, okay? Jesus wasn't suffering in hell, I don't think. He didn't need to suffer anymore. All the suffering was done on the cross. All the atonement was done there. He didn't need to suffer anymore, okay? It was done at the cross. So, so I think part of this is just a misunderstanding of what this phrase meant at the time. So some churches that read the, say the creed have changed that to mean descended into darkness or, or say something totally different. But the idea is that he was, he was really dead and he was in the realm of the dead, okay? Um, I'm going to give you a couple of passages you might want to look up. One of them is Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31. And that's the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus where you have these guys in the realm of the dead One's obviously in a good place. The other one is in a suffering place. Okay, but there's a chasm between them. Okay? We could gather from that 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 might be what this Hades is like. The realm of the dead. Okay? Um, Okay, so... And so, anyway, so for example, Old Testament believers, right? uh, And the Old Testament word for this would have been Sheol okay, but the New Testament word would be Hades, okay, and so we see, I think, these within this realm as a good place and then a bad place, all right? Now, so I, I think, let me give you the, and I'll keep going on this in just a second here, but just to say this, this phrase in the creed, when I say this, what I'm getting away from it based on the context of how it was used in the fourth century is that it just means emphasizing that Jesus experienced the full consequences of death. He went where the dead go, okay? He was really dead, okay? Um, now, <laughs> man, we could run out of time. All right, so 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20 is a verse a lot of people go to. Like, there are verses associated with, like, what happened on Holy Saturday? What happened when he was in the ground then, you know? Where was he? He was in the realm of dead, but was anything else happening? If you read 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20, um, all right, I'll make it quick, Greg. Here we go. Don't have time to preach this whole little passage here. (laughs) 
So 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. Okay, I better start at um, verse 18, actually, probably. All right, here we go. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So you see the cross in that, right? You see his death in that, right? Um, so then it says, um, so it says, he, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And then it goes on to talk about baptism. So people look at that and say, well, that seems to speak about something that happened maybe when Jesus was in the grave. Okay? And I'm just going to say this. Maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does in, from the sense of this. So some people, there's different takes on this. Some people believe that what happened was, what this verse is talking about, is Jesus went and proclaimed victory over the evil spirits in the realm of the dead. Okay? That he, he, he basically proclaimed, I, 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 I'm defeated death here. I'm rising again. You know, I won. Okay? Like a victory type thing. Okay? Uh, so, so that's what some would think that he means by he proclaimed to the spirits in prison, meaning in the prison, meaning in, in Hades there, okay? Um, there are others who think that that verse really is talking about, or really should say, something like this. Because um, what it's talking about is it's talking about these people back in Noah's day, right? Well, what was happening in Noah's day? Well, of course, the flood was coming, right? And Noah's talking about God's judgment. The flood is, the rain is coming. And of course, they hadn't, you know, there, there's all the stuff happening, and he's putting the, putting the ark together, right? And so um, they did not respond to the, to the message, right? They all thought Noah was a fool, right? And so what some people's view on this text is, rather than Jesus having gone down and preached something, that the preaching was done before through Noah. The reason they would say that is this, because it doesn't say when the preaching happened. Because it could mean because they formerly did not obey God, well, let me back up, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison, is how some people say that should be worded. They're now in prison, but they weren't before. Before, when they heard the proclamation through the Spirit of Christ, through Noah, they didn't repent. They didn't obey. Okay? Now, where is this concept coming from that the Spirit of Christ is preaching before He actually comes down? If you look at Feast... First, feast. <laughs> I made up a book of the Bible last service. It was called Galatians. Okay? All right? So I think it has to do with the coming storm. Galatians. But anyway, so... Uh, in, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it talks about the Spirit of Christ doing something. Not the person, actual physicality of the person of Christ, but the Spirit of Christ doing something. So, even within the same book here, he's talking about the Spirit of Christ. He could have been, so, so the Spirit of Christ could have been preaching to these people through Noah and God's judgment, but they didn't respond. Okay? And now they're in prison. So, there's different ways to take it, okay, that I think are, are in alignment with the Scriptures. So, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that, uh, but 
But what you can do is see that there are some things happening that I think are a little bit mysterious, not to, not to just punt and run, but, but a little mysterious about what happened that Saturday, okay? He may have done something down there in the realm of the dead and led a host of captains. I don't know what all that means. I, I, I'm just, it's a mystery to me, okay? Um, but just realize, and actually I told the last service, and I will tell you guys this here, over the, this week, I'm going to send out a couple of links of some resources that break down, I think, what are probably three viable options for what happened on that Saturday night, okay, that line up with other scriptures, okay? But I feel like the resurrection needs to have its day here, people. <laughs> so, so that's why uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. Okay, third day, he rose again from the dead. All right, so um, really want to talk about here... Uh, the importance of the resurrection. Why is the resurrection important? There's so many reasons, but one is it's critical for our salvation. All right? Uh, And I'm just going to give this quote to you from Michael Bird. It's a short one. Michael Bird said, a dead Jesus can be a martyr or a teacher, but not our Savior. He can't stay dead and be our Savior. He has to have resurrected. Okay? And so 1 Peter 1.3 uh, one of the verses talk about the importance of how the link with salvation, the resurrection the link to salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, listen, to a living hope. How does he do that? Glad you asked. It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we now have a living hope. Our salvation is all tied up in the resurrection. Okay. You can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. It matters. Everything matters about the resurrection. Okay. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, you're still dead in your sins. There's no longer a way of forgiveness. That's gone. So we just need to see the resurrection is, is, is tied to... Um, our salvation. Secondly, the resurrection also helps us have a unique perspective on life, a kingdom perspective. Here's what I mean. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, if then you have been raised up with Christ. Okay, well, think about that. He means if you've experienced the resurrection life of Christ, any person that's put their faith in Christ is experiencing resurrection power transformative power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. you get that? At work within you. That's what he means here. If you have been raised up with Christ, listen to what he says. If that's true, and the way he's saying this is, if that's true, and it is, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He's saying, have the heavenly view of life. Keep the long view. Doesn't it, isn't that what Paul tells us to do when we're going through trials? Is to know that the end of those trials is coming and that it has a purpose and a glory to God. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Well, where is he? He's in heaven right now. Okay? And, he's, and simply experiencing the resurrection life ourselves by being born again, the fact of the matter is, we can have a kingdom perspective now. Okay? 
I see eyes, my eyes on the world are very different than they were 40 years ago before Christ. I had very different goals, very different way of viewing things and people. That's different now because of what Christ has done through the resurrection in my own life. All right. Third importance here, it proves Jesus really is the Savior and the Son of God. Well, that's kind of a big deal because if he's not, he's a liar, (laughs) right? So where are we getting this from? I want to actually look at the Romans verse, Romans 1, 1 to 4. Romans 1, 1 to 4 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, this verse 4 is what I want to get at. And was declared to be the Son of God, listen, in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. It's by the resurrection of the dead that we could say, and that He could say He is the Son of God. Okay? He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection is totally tied to His identity as Savior and the Son of God. If He didn't raise from the dead, He's not the Savior, He's not the Son of God. Okay? Last thing here. Importance of the resurrection. Again, there's like probably a hundred importances of the resurrection. We're just hitting four of them. Okay? It guarantees our own resurrection to eternal life with God. 2 Corinthians 4.14. I preach this at every Christian funeral. This right here. It's our hope. And when we say hope as a Christian, we know it's sure. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's it right there. You see, if Jesus wasn't raised, we're not going to be raised from the dead. That's just the simple fact. Right? If he wasn't raised, we're not going to be raised. But because he was raised... Christians will be raised, well, everybody's going to be raised from the dead, but Christians will be raised to eternal life and then into the, be in the presence of God. Period. Okay. So that is, that is a guarantee because Christ has done that. We bank our life on that. Okay. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, so much in your word about the resurrection and about the cross of Christ Lord, make it fresh to us. Having been a believer a long time, we could, we could just kind of nod our head in agreement. Lord, make it fresh in our hearts. Let us really come to grips with these truths of the importance of the cross, the importance of the resurrection. And um, Lord, I'm, I'm okay with even wrestling with the passage about what happened on Saturday night with not really knowing everything. Lord, we just um, we want our lives to be a living sacrifice, like it says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We offer ourselves to you. And we've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies, it says. So, Lord, we want to glorify you with our mouths, with our hands, with our feet, 
with all of our body, with our minds, for you deserve all the glory. And so, Lord, help us this week. Lord, help us to be able to say with wholehearted conviction that we believe in Jesus Christ. Be crucified, died, descended into hell, and raised to death, raised from the dead three days later. We believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.